Good morning again, everybody. Such a privilege to be able to uh, preach to you this morning in addition to getting to lead the music. Um, I always feel so prepared for this when I get to preach by the, doing the songs. Stephen's always graciously offers the, you know, the Sundays that I have the chance to preach if, you know, if, he won't, if I want him to, to lead the music. And I mean, I'm willing to give that away for sure. But I, I feel like it like gets me primed and ready, you know, like singing about the stuff. And it's like I'm like in the zone by the time uh, we get, uh, get ready for the sermon. So I'm happy to be able to do both and that you guys will tolerate listening to me for like an hour and a half. Not, I'm not going to preach for an hour and a half. I mean the whole, ser- I mean the whole service. I'm not going to pull Stephen and preach. For <laughs> um, but it is uh, such a joy to be able to preach uh, to you this morning. This is sort of the finale of our summer sermon series. Um, may or may not be a grand finale, but it's a finale nonetheless because it is our final uh, sermon of the series. Um, so next week we're going to jump back into Romans, I think chapter 13, if I remember remember correctly. Um, but it's been a joy this summer to be able to examine these, these disciplines, these habits that hopefully make us more like Jesus, uh, that hopefully draw us closer to the Father. Um, of course, we've been examining these disciplines, what they mean, um, how to practice them, how to apply them in our lives. Um, and today's the last one. It's our sincere hope, you know, when we plan this series, uh, we really hoped that you would be equipped this summer with some, not just some knowledge of Scripture, which is important, but as we talked about when we talked about thinking biblically earlier, um, being equipped with knowledge is good, but it's, it's not enough, right? We want knowledge that is then able to be put into action. Um, and so hopefully you've been equipped with some practical wisdom this summer from the Bible that will hopefully help you be able to better uh, walk out your faith in regular and intentional ways. If you missed any of the sermons of this series, uh, all of, of course, all the, the, the live videos are, are on Facebook because we, we don't delete those. But also um, our sermons, um, most of you probably know this, are available via podcast um, on our website or through your podcast app. Um, and so you can go back and listen to uh, any of the sermons that you might have missed. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some good stuff. Every sermon this, this uh, series was, was, was really good. And we had three guests that were really good. I caught up um, one of the guests that I missed when I was out the other day. And, um, Matt Moore teached about uh, how we practice the rhythms of, the, uh, the, of these spiritual disciplines, how we practice them in the rhythm of the local church. Um, it was really good stuff that I'd, I'd missed. So if you missed any of those, I encourage you to go back and give them a listen, or you can watch the video uh, if you want. Um, you know, I, there's been some really good stuff over the past couple of months, but I doubt that very much of it is groundbreaking, right? If you've been in the church or around the church for a while, you probably didn't hear very much that was very new to you. Um, if you're a seasoned believer, n- nothing was novel this summer, right? In fact, even the list of stuff that we, uh, that we decided to go through, we kind of stole from, I guess, Mike Cosper a little bit um, or an adaptation. So, so nothing was groundbreaking, nothing was novel, but that's, that's okay because it's really not that hard to know what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, right? I mean, it's, we, know, we know what we're supposed to do if we just read the Bible. We see this stuff. But knowing the habits that we are supposed to cultivate as Christians and doing those habits aren't the same thing always, right? And even doing those things uh, occasionally and doing the, or, you know, like doing them when we get together, right? I mean, we're going to talk about prayer today. Well, 
You probably pray when you come here on Sundays, but that's not necessarily indicative of a habit of prayer in our lives. That is a habit, but that is not the the daily habit, right? That's not the spiritual discipline that we're talking about. So even uh, practicing these disciplines occasionally and doing them regularly is not the same thing. And so we want to hopefully equip you to make that jump from knowledge of something to the practice of something to the practice of something that is regular uh, and intentional in your life. You know, I think I mentioned this before, maybe when I talked about fasting, I can't remember. But it's similar with our physical health, right? Most of us probably know the things that we need to do to be healthy. We have to eat right. We have to exercise. We have to get plenty of sleep. We have to drink a lot of water. You know, we're like basically houseplants, right? We need all this stuff. But it's hard to maintain those habits, especially when we fall out of maintaining those habits. And often the hardest part about having a good and healthy habit is starting it, right? It's not maintaining it. Maintaining it often is much easier than starting a habit. I found this out when I started running a while back. Because if you've ever, like, decided to start running, it is not pleasant when you start at all. Um, it is it's actually horrible when you first start. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's bad. Like, your body feels it, and it's just... It's a, it's a chore, like it's not a good time. But then, you know, you just, if you press through and you keep doing it, or at least this was my experience, then like after a while, like a month or two, it becomes like tolerable. It's like you don't dread it every single time, and it's kind of okay. Um, and then you keep going and you press through a little more, and then when you miss a day or a couple of days, you're like, oh, man, like I missed that. And you realize, like it can even become something that's like, enjoyable and in the case of running like for me it's been kind of therapeutic actually um so there's it's most things that are good for us are like that you know you might not start off liking salad a lot but if you eat a lot of salad then eventually when you miss a salad you're gonna you're gonna miss it right because healthy foods like that too most of the things that are good for us aren't always pleasant to do but then when we when we learn to maintain them as a healthy habit in our life then when we don't do them we fill a void and that void is a good thing, right? Because we need to be practicing these things. Um, and I'm not just talking about, of course, uh, those physical habits that are good for our health, but I'm talking about the things that we need to do for our spiritual health as well. Because spiritual disciplines work very much in the same way. We often know what they are. Um, we often know how to practice them, maybe with the exception of, of, of obscure ones. You know, it's not, again, nothing's novel that we gave you this summer. So it's not that hard to know how to do them, how to practice these habits. So now, the challenge for us is to put them into practice. To establish these godly habits in our life so that the Holy Spirit can transform them into works of grace. That, can, that He can put us on this trajectory into becoming more like Christ. And the good news for us, church, is not only does it get easier to maintain these habits after we've established them. But when we cultivate these habits... We can actually like look back and see how God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, has used these things to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. Now, that's not something that you see necessarily every single day, um, right? It's not. Uh, it's funny. Like the Lyndon likes to, you know, they, they like to exercise around the house, and Lyndon will come, like, sh- you know, they'll they'll be doing whatever they're doing, and she'll come and like want to show her muscles, right? And it's like she thinks that because she did an exercise that now she has big muscles, right? And that's, I don't want to tell her, that's not, how, that's not how it works. That's not how it works spiritually either, right? You don't get to see your big muscles 
um, because you worked out once, right? So from day to day, uh, you don't necessarily see how these things are shaping you. But in hindsight, you do. When you get to look back over your life, it is so much easier to see this positive spiritual trajectory of our walk with God when we've been cultivating these habits over a period of time. And so it is my hope that this summer sermon series is not just some interesting thing that we took a break from Romans for a couple of months uh, and we, you know, it was, it was good and, and then we just move on with our lives. My hope is that the Holy Spirit will take these truths and as, as we sing sometimes, that he will plant them deep in us and that he will shape and fashion us in his likeness. That God will use these habits to make us more like Jesus, both individually and collectively. Because as, as uh, we learned a couple weeks ago from Matt Moore, we are not individualistic Christians, right? That we, we are not simply called to these things in isolation. We are called to these things in community because we are, we are growing together, hopefully becoming, as the body of Christ, more like Christ together. And so today, we're going to end with, I guess, what could have been maybe the first or second uh, discipline, except for we didn't like order these in like order of importance or anything. We just, you know, they, we just kind of put the schedule together haphazardly a bit. But today we're going to talk about, um, if I had to ask you what are the two most essential uh, spiritual disciplines, what would you say? Prayer and Bible study, right. So we've talked about the Bible. Um, we, in fact, we've spent a couple weeks talking about how to study the Bible. Today we're going to talk about prayer, uh, this quintessential spiritual discipline. Um, and like, like Drew said, if you had to make a list, probably if, if everybody listed out all the spiritual disciplines they, could, they would think of, Scripture and prayer would be probably on everybody's list, right? And that's for good reason. Um, we already spent some time discussing how and why we should seek God through His Word. And so today we're going to conclude this series discussing the spiritual discipline of prayer. Now prayer is pretty easy, right? We know what prayer is. If you're a Christian, if you've been around the church, um, you're familiar with, with prayer. Um, so prayer in some ways is like the easiest one. Uh, prayer in some ways is also the hardest one because it's easy to know what prayer is. Um, it's easy to, know how, to, like, to learn how to do it, at least in some, some way. Um, and we know that we're supposed to do it, right? I mean, it's not like no Christian thinks, oh, I don't need to pray. Like everybody knows, like, yeah, you need to pray. We see Christians praying all through the Bible. Um, this is something that we are supposed to do. And so, so everybody, if you're a Christian, everybody generally agrees we know what prayer is, we know how to do it, we know that we should be doing it. But it's also something that is very easy to fall out of the habit of doing. Um, or it's easy to have a habit of prayer that is simply rote routine, that, that is just hollow words that don't, don't mean very much. Um, it's also often, or it's easy to pr approach prayer flippantly, not giving it the gravity that it deserves in our lives. But if prayer is communing with the God of the universe, and it is that, right? It is talking to the creator and sustainer of the cosmos. We ought to take prayer seriously. We ought to consider how we can better become a people of consistent and regular prayer. Now, when we discussed fasting a few weeks ago, uh, we took a look at several biblical examples of that, right? And there's, there's a lot of them, and I hit most of the, the like, important biblical examples of fasting. Well, if I took that approach to prayer, we would be here for a while. Uh, we'd, we'd literally be here all day because if you read the Bible, you'll see that near, like hardly a page of Scripture doesn't mention 
people talking to God, right? Prayer is ubiquitous in Scripture throughout Christian history. Uh, prayer is very common and it's essential to the Christian life. So there naturally is far more than that could be said about prayer than I'm going to be able to cover in a sermon today. Just because, you know, we could do a whole series on prayer. In fact, we've talked about doing that. Um, there's, you know, a million books written on prayer. Um, there's a lot that can be said about prayer. Um, and so I'm just going to scratch the surface today. But I hope that uh, the, the little bit that I'm going to give you today um, will help us uh, examine, based on what God's Word says, how to better cultivate a prayer-saturated life. Because that's what we're called to, church. We are called to be people of prayer, people who lead a prayer-saturated life. In fact, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that every word of every day is a prayer, but it means we never really stop. If we are called to this habit of prayer, then we are called to prayer all the time. And as Colleen read for us a little bit ago, um, as with fasting, probably the most specific, straightforward instructions that we find in the Bible related to prayer are found from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And as with fasting, um, those instructions in Matthew 6 tell us a whole lot before they get on the what to do. They tell us a whole lot about what not to do. Um, and so we don't have to read that whole passage together again today, um, but I do want to uh, kind of recap it for you. So, so Jesus tells uh, the, the people that he's teaching to there to not be hypocritical in their prayers, right? And he uses um, those who would stand out and pray for attention as an example. And he tells them that it's better to go into a secret room to pray so that your father sees you there uh, when you're intimate with him. Now we're going to talk about what that means and doesn't mean in a second. Uh, but it, Jesus also tells us not to pray repetitively over and over. Um, and then he gives us the model prayer. And that's really what we're going to spend some time looking at today. And he said, when you pray, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then other gospels end that with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we talk about prayer, before we get uh, too deep in it, let's, let's actually spend some time and pray. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to come before you. God, that you who are over all, before all, you who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, God, who formed us from the dust of the ground, God, and who breathes life into our mortal bodies, God, you who are so other than us, God, that you would listen to our prayers. God, would we be in awe of that? God, we know that you created us to know you. You created us for intimate fellowship with you. Or we see that even in the Garden of Eden where you walked in the cool of the day with Adam and with Eve. God, and we know that uh, the sin of the fall did not break that purpose. God, that you still created us to know you intimately. And God, we thank you that you revealed yourself to us in your word. God, that you give us the presence of your spirit. But God, also that you give us this gift of prayer. 
God, where we can literally communicate with you, the God of the universe. God, that blows my mind that you listen to your children. God, that you care what we have to say. I mean, that's ridiculous, Lord, that you care what we say to you. God, how foolish it is for us to neglect this habit. How foolish it is for us to think that anything is more important than our lives than getting to know you. God, for it is why we were created to begin with. God, would you help us to not see prayer just as another thing that we do, an act of piety that makes us feel better, a therapeutic exercise that just helps us get stuff off our chest. Prayer is so much more than that, Lord. Lord, it is, it is getting to know you. Our, our gracious Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for the merits of Jesus that allow us to come before you. God, and that you draw us close to you when we draw near to you ourselves. So God, as we just scratch the surface today of how to better be a people of prayer, God, and as we use this prayer that Jesus gave us as a framework for that, God, I don't have anything novel. God, but you do. Lord, you, you have the power to change us by your word and to renew our passion for you. So would you do that today, Lord? God, would you use our word to shape and fashion us in your likeness? For the sake of your glory, God, that we would know you better, that we would walk in the joy that you have created us for. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So it kind of goes without saying that Christians are called to be people who pray. Again, if you've been around the church, um, if you've been around Christians much, you, this is very obvious. If you go into any Christian worship service, be it on a Sunday morning like this, or if you go into something like our missional community gatherings, or really any churches like small groups, settings like Sunday school or whatever, or if you even go to special services like baptisms or, or weddings or funerals, um, you're going to find, wherever you find Christians, you find prayer. And that's for good reason. Because we were created to know God. We were created to have fellowship with God. So then it makes sense that we would spend time as Christians talking to God. And that's true of any relationship, not just our relationship with God, right? If we really want to get to know someone, we have to spend time with that person. We have to spend time talking to them, opening, opening ourselves up to them in intentional conversation. And so I can say... With confidence that if you have a relationship in your life that is struggling, where the two parties are failing to connect, they're failing to grow in the depth of their relationship with one another, I can guarantee you that the central issue is probably always at least linked to a lack of healthy and regular communication. And so if it's true that communication breakdown is probably at the core of any relationship problems, then it most certainly is true of our, of our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well. We are called to be people who talk to our Heavenly Father. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, If the spirit of prayer is not with the people, the minister may preach like an angel, but cannot expect success. 
There may be in that church wealth, talent, labor, and many outreach efforts, but the Lord is not there. Prayer is as sure evidence of the presence of God as the rising of the thermometer is evidence of an increase in temperature. If God is near a church, it must pray. If He is not, one of the obvious signs of His absence will be lethargy in prayer. And that is convicting. Goodness. If God is near a church, it must pray. If He is not, one of the obvious signs of His absence will be lethargy in prayer. You ever think about that? That if we don't care about praying, that we are missing out on God the Father? It's not that we aren't Christians necessarily, although we should examine ourselves. But if we are lazy in our prayer, if it's not something that we care about, we are really, really missing out on the power of God in our lives. And we're primarily today going to talk about individual prayer, but I want to talk for a second about corporate prayer. Because corporate prayer is a good and biblical and essential practice. We are called to pray when we gather. And again, that's not primarily what I want to discuss today. But I do want to spend a second on it. Now, the passage that Colleen read for us a minute ago, um, if you read that, you might walk away with the impression that Christian prayer is only meant to be done in private. I mean, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door so that you, know, and you pray in secret and all that. Now, Jesus is calling us to that that type of prayer, but I don't think that he is necessarily saying don't pray when you get together, that that there is not a format for uh, corporate prayer. And there's a number of reasons why I think that. One is that we see God's people praying together and even commanded to pray together all throughout Scripture. But also, even in this very passage that we looked at, the very words of the Lord's prayer imply that we are called to be people who pray together. And somebody pointed this out to me a while back, and I just never noticed it. Have you ever noticed that the pronouns that are used in the Lord's Prayer are first-person plural pronouns? So it says, Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we are forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know much about the original language and the translation and all that, but... There is no translation of the New Testament that says that starts the Lord's Prayer, my Father in heaven, or that says, lead me not into temptation. Right? It's always plural. And so when Jesus gives us this model prayer, I think that he's prescribing its use when we gather. And so, of course, Christians are called to pray together. As Matt Moore taught us a couple weeks ago, we are certainly called to cultivate these spiritual habits within the context of the local church community that we are called to. He reminded us that we have to reject this tendency toward individualistic Christianity because the Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible never calls you to be saved in isolation and that's it. You were saved and you were baptized into community. That's, what the, that's the Christianity that the Bible teaches In so many ways, corporate prayer is sort of a counterpart to our individual prayer life. And it's also an overflow of our personal prayer life. Really, the two shouldn't and can't be separated. When we pray, when we get together, it should be an overflow of the prayers that we've already been doing without ceasing throughout the week. And so, if you are a part of the gathering of God's people as you are today, 
then making sure that prayer is a part of our community when we gather is really not something that is difficult. Because it's already incorporated into our rhythms, right? We have a habit of corporate prayer. When we get together on Sundays, we pray. When we get together at missional communities, we pray. Uh, Stephen talked last week about when we feast often, we pray. Those are habits. But that doesn't necessarily mean that prayer is thoroughly incorporated into your rhythms of life the rest of the week. Because unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how much you like the people who are here, um, most of your week is not spent with us. Right? That's just a really small piece of our week. Most of the time we are not gathered. Most of the time we are scattered. And we still have to be praying when we are the church scattered. And so primarily what I want to focus on today... It's how to better develop a habit of personal prayer. How to grow in the discipline of prayer so that we might come to know God more intimately on an individual level. Because when we do that, our prayers together even will be enriched. Because we are already growing in our relationship with our Father the rest of the week. And when we come together, we have the chance to address Him corporately. Now before we use Jesus' model prayer to talk about how to develop this discipline of prayer, let's spend a few minutes talking about what Jesus tells us before he gets there, which is really how not to pray. And there's a lot of, a lot of this in, in the Bible. Often, to find out how best to do something, the Bible tells us how not to, because our tendencies are to do the wrong thing most of the time. So the first thing Jesus tells us is, don't pray like the hypocrites. Because the hypocrites love to stand and pray publicly so that they may be seen by others. So it's not the standing and praying publicly that's the problem. It's the desire to be seen by others. And when they do it, they stand up and they, they heap up empty phrases so that they're heard for their many words. Right? They're trying to draw attention to themselves. This is very similar to the commands that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6 about fasting that we looked at a few weeks ago. Prayer and fasting and really no spiritual discipline is meant to be performative. None of these things are meant to draw attention to ourselves. Prayer is not done to attempt to impress others. It is not done to demonstrate our piety. It is not done to make ourselves feel better. To increase our reputation with those around us. Because if we have a right view of prayer, we will see it as humbly approaching the God of the universe. To bringing ourselves before Him to seek after Him and His will for us. And when you actually do that, it is impossible to draw attention to yourself. If you realize who you are addressing in prayer, you will not be the subject of it, I promise. So that's how not to pray. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what Jesus says. Don't be a hypocrite. And that's, that's pretty good advice for all of your spiritual life. But particularly in prayer. Don't be a hypocrite. Take the mask off, church. So what is prayer? We know this one, right? Um, most people would say that prayer is simply talking to God. In fact, uh, that's what the Catechism for Boys and Girls that we often use in our missional community says. It says, what is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Anybody ever got that far? We never got that far in RMC, but that's what it says. Prayer is talking with God. Pretty easy answer. And that is true. Prayer is indeed talking with God. But it's also insufficient, right? It's just scratching the surface. Because prayer, um, it doesn't involve two equal parties, 
right? It's not um, me talking to Lindsay, right? It's not you talking with your friend. It's not the same as that. It, prayer is that, but it's also like that's, that's an insufficient definition because it's more, co- more complex than that. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, defines prayer like this. So now you have to memorize this definition in addition to the uh, prayers talking with God answer. So it asks, what is prayer? And the catechism answer is, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Let me read it again. It's a good definition. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God For things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That's a a more comprehensive definition of what it means. Because again, the parties are not equal in prayer. God is way above us. So we have to realize when we approach God, we do indeed talk to him in prayer. But we've got to remember who we are and who he is. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a moment. But this is a good definition because it acknowledges that prayer is talking to God, but it's not flippant. And if we are going to examine what prayer means in our lives comprehensively, prayer involves several approaches. See, if we simply define prayer as talking to God, then I think it may make us less likely to actually pray because it can kind of lack purpose. And so if we want to cultivate a habit of prayer that is intentional and purposeful, that is regular, and I hope that we do, I hope that even if um, we already have that, that it's something that we want more, and I hope we can all agree that that is something that as Christians we should want. We should want a more vibrant, deep prayer life. Then we have to understand the purpose of prayer. And I think the best place that we can look for that is indeed this model prayer that the Lord Jesus himself gave to us. And so what I'm going to give to you this morning is not new to me. Again, nothing's novel this summer. In fact, a few years ago, we did a little blog series on our, we used to have one of those on our website. And we did a series on spiritual disciplines and Stephen wrote uh, an entry about prayer. And he kind of did an abbreviated version of what I'm about to give you. Um, But as we examine how to make prayer central in our lives, we can use the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that we looked at earlier, as the framework for our prayers. And this is really like a simple and memorable and thorough way to help us approach prayers and make our prayers more meaningful and purposeful. And so I hope that uh, that you will find some usefulness from this approach. You may have heard it before, um, but it's helped me over the years um, when I try to have... You know, spend times in intentional prayer to use the Lord's Prayer as the framework. It's really helped me um, to do that, to shape our prayers by what Jesus gave us. Uh, and it's helped draw me into more, to a more rich and vibrant and meaningful prayer life. I hope that it does that for you. Let me say, before I jump into this, we are called, again, to be people of prayer and to pray without ceasing. So that what I'm going to give you today is really designed for use in these, these, um, these times of prayer where you are intentionally pursuing the Lord. Um, this is not necessarily a framework for every time you pray about everything. okay? Because if we are called to, to pray without ceasing, then we can, we can pray all the time. 
right? In fact, I've found um, if I feel convicted of sin, like I want to pray immediately, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me of that. Equip me not to do that again. You know, like I want to confess immediately. If I tell somebody I'm going to pray for them because they, they've asked for prayer or they're, you know, have sick or they're having a hard time or whatever, I try to pray right then. And not every time we pray does it have to be, you know, a 15-minute deal because we're, we're called to pray all the time. But also, we want to cultivate prayers that are deep and intentional and that are um, a part of, you know, what you might call your quiet time or whatever. Um, often, uh, it's, a, it's a good habit to get into to spend time reading the Bible and praying um, as much as possible every day if you can. And so that's mostly what this model is designed to be used uh, within. Um, because again, we can't, can't cover everything every time we pray, nor should we, right? Um, sometimes prayers are short and sometimes they're long. Um, but this should cover several approaches uh, to help, help you frame your prayers uh, and hope you, I hope you get some usefulness out of this. And so the first thing that Jesus uh, teaches us to pray is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so that's sort of the category that Jesus is covering there, the type of prayer he's uh, using is worship. So that's the first thing today, worship. One of the most important things that we should do when we come before God in prayer is worship him. Now, we, we talk about worship a lot at Vintage. Worship is not just the music that we sing, right? Worship is what we are called to as Christians every day, right? We're supposed to, according to Romans 12, be a living sacrifice. That's what worship is, right? We, we should glorify God with everything that we do. But when we come before God in prayer, we should begin with worship. Now, prayer is, of course, entering into a dialogue with God. But we have to realize the significance of that dialogue because when we pray, we are approaching the almighty creator and sustainer of the cosmos. The God who literally spoke and the universe came into existence out of nothing. This is the God who in scripture is defined more than any other uh, adjective as holy. In fact, he's described as holy, holy, holy. This is the God who is sovereign over all. The God who is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. The God who is perfect in all of his ways. And he is high above us. So we ought not to approach God flippantly. We ought to approach him with the reverence that his righteousness demands. For he is the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty of the entire universe. And we, we would do well to remember that when we approach him. Now, it's also true that because of what Christ has done for us in offering Himself as the perfect sacrifice on the cross, that when we trust in what Jesus did for us and we are made right with God, when we are justified before God, that we are then welcomed freely to the throne of the Father. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So I am in no way trying to negate the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus did for us when I tell you that we need to approach God with fear and trembling. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's precisely because of what Christ has done that not only can we approach God with confidence and boldness, but we are reminded of God's holiness. After all, when we look at the cross, we do see a demonstration of God's love 
and what he accomplished to draw us to himself, we also see a demonstration of God's holy judgment against sin. And God's love and his, his wrath, they collide at the cross. And so yes, we draw near with boldness to the throne of grace, but we also have to remember that the death that Jesus died is the death that we deserve for our sin. And instead we are offered grace. And so we have to remember, yes, we have this access, but what was the cost? The life of the Son of God. When we come to God in prayer, we first should exalt Him for who He is. Now, I don't mean that every time we pray to God, we have to begin with all six verses of holy, holy, holy. But I do mean that when we pray, if we skip right to what we want and what we need, then we miss out on who it is that we are speaking to. And we would do well when we pray to acknowledge God for who He is. And again, this doesn't always have to be you know, extensive, but we should humble ourselves before God. That's why even when we pray congregational prayers from things like the Valley of Vision and other, other prayer, uh, written prayers, we usually begin with some sort of address to God, addressing who He is. Something like, Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or, or something to that effect. Right? We want to remember who it is we are talking to so that we will sufficiently humble ourselves when we approach Him. Now, I also want to point out, prayer is not a therapeutic exercise. Now, Prayer certainly does change you, but it's not because it's good therapy. You know, people, people like to, you know, in, in the secular world, like to, you know, offer sort of these sort of generic things that they might call prayer that really are therapeutic exercises. You know, voicing your, your thoughts and your needs. and whatever. That is not what we do. We are talking to the God of the universe when we pray. And we do well to remember that. That it's not, it's not therapeutic. It's dialogue with God Almighty. And so we ought not to forget that. We ought to humble ourselves before the Holy God of the universe when we come before Him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. He is holy and He deserves our reverence. Next, Jesus prays, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a posture of surrender. And that's really the sort of second category if you're thinking through these prayers. See, once we acknowledge who God is when we approach Him, then the response that should come next is a surrender to who He is and what He is accomplishing. So often it can be tempting to jump right in with what we think God should do for us as if we somehow know best. And why in the world, though, would we spend our prayers asking God for what we want when we don't know what God knows? How arrogant are we to even think that we could know what is best? Now, it's okay, as we're going to talk in a minute, to pray to God for what we need. But before that, we should surrender, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, you know already. Tim Keller says that God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we know everything that God knows. Now, of course, we don't know everything that God knows. 
Jesus even prayed like this, not just when he was teaching us to pray, but when he prayed. We talked about this earlier. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to God, not my will, but yours. It's almost identical to what he teaches us to pray here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the more we get to know the heart of God, the more that we come to appreciate the sovereignty of God and His goodness and grace and all that He's doing for us, the more that we understand He knows best anyway. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, that pretty much covers it, you know? We don't have to spend a whole lot of other time thinking about all the other stuff because praying for God's kingdom come and His will to be done covers a lot. When we get a grip on God's sovereignty, it becomes a great comfort for us to know God's will is always perfect and that we can trust Him to do what is best. We can trust that nothing is a surprise to God. You ever, you ever take comfort in that, that nothing surprises God? We can never come close to doing things better than God or asking for things in a way that He hasn't already thought of. When we see God for who He is and we, we come to know His heart, when we come to know His goodness and His grace, how can we do anything but surrender to Him? In fact, you know, when we, when we worship God and we come before Him, the only reasonable response to encountering God and, and considering who He is is to throw ourselves upon His mercy. And a lot of times, prayers of worship and surrender, they cover a whole lot of ground. In fact, I think that as we mature in our walk with God, as we learn to pray um, more deep and vibrant prayers, as we grow in our prayer life, I think the balance of our prayers often tips from petition, which we're going to get to next, where we spend most of our time in worship and surrender. Because that pretty much covers it. We don't have to spend as much time asking God for specific things that we think we need when we see Him for who He is and we spend time trusting Him and offering ourselves before Him. So we, don't, we almost don't have to spend time asking God for stuff when we approach Him with the reverence that He is due, when we humble ourselves and surrender before Him. But... Jesus did teach us to pray for specific things. And so the third category that we'll see today is petition. Jesus prayed, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is probably the part that we don't need a lot of help with. Because when most people think of prayer, petition is often what they are thinking of. Typically when somebody says they, when they ask you to pray for them about something or when they say they prayed about something, most of the time what they mean is they asked God for something. And as Jesus teaches us here, we should. We should ask God for things in accordance with his will as we just, as we just were taught, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? You can't separate those two. We pray in accordance with the will of God. So we should ask, ask God for things. Now, people like to say prayer works. They see some answer to prayer that they like, and they'll say prayer works. I think that's just that's stupid. Prayer doesn't work like it's some sort of force. God works through prayer. So we should remember it's not just 
Prayer, it's like the, you know, Christmas, people like to talk about having belief. If you just believe, believe in what? Like it's meaningless nonsense. Prayer doesn't work. God works through prayer. God answers prayer as Scripture attests to and as hopefully the testimony of our lives attests to as well. We see this repeatedly throughout Scripture that God works through prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Man, what? That's good stuff. That's good. Jesus reiterates this in, or I guess He iterates it since He said it first, in John 16, 23 and 24. He says, In that day you will ask nothing of Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give to you. Until now you have asked nothing in My name, that asking you, sh- you will receive, that your joy may be ma- um, that your joy may be full. And then Philippians four six and seven, Paul tells us, do not be an- do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a key phrase Paul uses there, with thanksgiving. When we bring our petitions before God, we have to do so with thanksgiving. Right? Thanksgiving is really kind of a whole separate category, but it can be included in petition. Because when we ask God for things, knowing that He is already good, then we should thank Him for who He is and for His goodness and His provision. We have to understand, though, that when we seek God with specific requests, asking Him to meet specific needs, we have to do so with humility and with reverence and with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing that God knows best. Again, I mentioned this when I preached on fasting, but as I have come to understand God's sovereign goodness in my life, I find myself praying less for specific provision Right for asking for things that I think I need because I already know that God is going to provide what I need. So I find myself praying more that God would help me to learn to be satisfied with His provision. Now it doesn't mean we don't pray for specific stuff because we see that all throughout the Bible, as we just looked at. That God will, you know, will grant the, the things that we ask when we approach Him with reverence and humility and thanksgiving and all that. But when we learn to trust who God is, we learn to be satisfied with the provision that we know He's going to provide. It's interesting in this passage, Jesus doesn't just, you know, he uses this specific phrase, daily bread. I mean, he could have said anything, you know, God, give us this day what we need, you know, whatever. But he specifically mentions daily bread. In fact, he doesn't even just say bread. God, give us this day bread and, you know, water to feed and, you know, quench our thirst or whatever. So I think... I'm not sure, but I think that Jesus is making an Old Testament reference here. Daily bread, I think, is a reference to when God provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness before they went into the promised land. And if you remember correctly, God gave very specific directions to His children about the manna, right? It was, it was indeed daily bread because they only were given enough to gather up for that day, And if they gathered extra, 
and tried to keep it till the next morning, it had worms in it. It spoiled. Except on Friday, they were able to gather enough for two days because they needed some for the Sabbath. And, and when they kept that overnight, there were, it didn't spoil. It didn't breed worms. So why do you think this is? Why do you think that God both gave the Israelites their daily bread and Jesus calls us to pray that God would give us our daily bread? I mean, why not, if we're going to be bold, why don't we just ask God for a whole wheat field? Why don't we ask Him for a whole bread-making operation so that we can make an unlimited supply of bread? Why didn't Jesus teach us to pray for abundance? Well, I think it's because... God wants us to learn to be satisfied with His provision. That's often how God works through the Bible, right? When God calls Abraham to leave his homeland, He doesn't even tell him where He's going. He says, pack up, leave, and then He shows him. He gives him enough to be faithful with, the next, with that day. And that's it. And that's often how God does. One of my favorite ladies uh, to ever live was... A uh, former teacher that I had named Kara Smith who died of cancer five years ago. And she used to say that God doesn't give us a full color wall mural of his will. He gives us a paint by number. <laughs> All right, we get enough to be faithful today. God's provision is good, but we have to learn to trust it today. And see, I, that's like not what I like. Like I want the, I want the mural. I want to know. Like I, I, I freak out about stuff. But that's not what God does most of the time. He doesn't give us the long term. He gives us today. We have to learn to be satisfied in the provision of God. We have to learn to trust God to provide our every need this day. And so when we bring our petitions before the Lord, both for ourselves and when we intercede for others, we can do so with confidence. Let me also say as an aside, a whole other category of prayer that there's been multiple books written on is intercession, which is when we pray for the needs of others. So, so intercession is sort of a subcategory of petition. Petition, we bring needs before God. Intercession, we bring the needs of others before God. And we are certainly taught to pray that, pray that way too. In fact, people ask us all the time to pray for them. That's intercession. And even in our intercession, we do that in accordance with the will of God, trusting in the provision of God. And we can do that with confidence, knowing that God is good and that He is gracious and that He will provide our every need. Now, God will not always necessarily give us exactly what we ask for. Garth Brooks reminds us of this, right? Got some of God's greatest gifts, right? We won't always get exactly what we ask for when we bring a petition to God. Because sometimes God's going to say no. Sometimes the answer is not going to be the answer that we want. But God will meet our every need in accordance with His will. And it will be exactly what we need whether we know what we need or not. Again, if we knew what God knows, then we would pray exactly for what we need. But because we don't, we throw ourselves upon the grace of God when we bring our petitions before Him, trusting that God will do what's best. Next, Jesus teaches us to pray, Forgive us our debts as we, forgiven, have we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the category of prayer called confession. This is number four, confession. Now, in order to cultivate a habit of meaningful prayer, we are called, church, to confess our sin. To confess our sin often. In fact, 
I'm not criticizing the model prayer that Jesus gave us because it's from Jesus. But I don't think we often need to wait until three quarters of the way through our prayer to confess sin, particularly if it's readily on our minds. In fact, the best time to confess a sin is is as soon as you are convicted of it. To stop, bring it to God, ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to help you, to guard you against that temptation, which we'll get to in a minute, and and to move on. We are called to be a people of confession. So as soon as you've realized that you have sinned, stop, confess, and ask for forgiveness. And God promises you that if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we don't, we don't have to doubt that. When we confess our sin, God forgives us. But I think there is also a place in our prayers, in our daily prayers, for a more general confession. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is teaching here in this model prayer. See, sometimes we are convicted of sin immediately. Like we do something... And we immediately realize, like, that was, that was the wrong choice. You know, I acted like a jerk, whatever, and we confess immediately. Sometimes we aren't convicted immediately of our sin. Sometimes we need to ask God, or I would say often, we need to ask God to search our hearts to reveal the sin that we need to confess. And so this is one of the reasons why, other than the fact that it's also commanded biblically, this is one of the reasons... Every week before communion, we call you to examine yourselves before you approach this table. That We call you to ask God to search your heart, to root out the sin that is there that maybe you haven't previously considered. Because, you know, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation, but we still have all these tendencies of sin. And sometimes we don't even notice them until we have spent time in confession, in this posture before God, asking Him to root out the sin that is in our hearts. Sometimes the sin that we, that we need to confess isn't even a deed, but it's a thought or it's, a, it's an attitude. And so we need this more general confession so that God can root that stuff out, so that we can come before God humbly, confessing our own sinfulness, asking God to take care of it. And when we confess our sins, when we throw ourselves upon the grace of God, we also ought to pray for grace for others. That's what Jesus teaches us here. That we confess and we ask God for forg- to forgive us even as we forgive others who have wronged us. That's another thing that we call you to in your preparation for communion. is to reconcile broken relationships. To forgive those who have wronged you. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 6.14 that if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why do you think that is? I mean, that sounds really mean, Jesus. What do you mean God won't forgive me if I don't forgive somebody else? Well, the truth is, if you understand the grace of God, you will offer forgiveness to those who have wronged you. And if you can't offer forgiveness to those who have wronged you, it's because the gospel isn't isn't working in your heart in that moment. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian but it means you, you are failing to acknowledge and to receive the grace of God in your own life if you're withholding it from others. So we, we do indeed pray for forgiveness. And we are, we are promised that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We are promised that. And so if people wrong us, we should be faithful and just to forgive them too. For that's what we are called to. We are called to be a people of grace. 
If we truly understand the grace that we have been given so freely, then we're going to give it away freely too. When we ask for grace both for our own sins and when we ask for grace to extend to other people, God's glorified by that. And that ought to be a regular part of our prayers. We both receive grace and we give grace. We ask God to help us do that. We spend time in confession. The last thing Jesus teaches in this prayer is He teaches us to pray, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is simply defined as help, right? We are praying for God's help. If we have acknowledged who God is when we pray, if we've surrendered to Him, we've learned to trust in His provision, we've asked Him for grace both for our own sins and to extend to others, then as we conclude our prayers, we should acknowledge our desperate need for God's Holy Spirit to guide us every moment of every day. Because we don't have the power to resist temptation on our own. We don't have the power to guard ourselves from evil on our own. In fact, if we try to avoid temptation and to be delivered from evil in our own strength, we are going to fail. But God gives us His Holy Spirit to make it possible. To lead us not into temptation and to deliver us from evil. To help us every moment of every day. We don't have the power, church. But if we are in Christ, we have been clothed in the armor of God. And as a result, we are able to stand against anything. See, victory in our daily struggles starts with realizing that we can't have victory in our daily struggles apart from the power of God working in our lives. That we are insufficient for the struggles that we face. But if we surrender ourselves to the power and the work of the Spirit in us and through us to accomplish His will in our lives and to lead us in the path of righteousness, that is how we find victory in those struggles. That is how we are able to resist temptation and to be delivered from evil. So we confess our own sin before God, but then we confess our insufficiency before God. And God honors that prayer. God has given us the Holy Spirit if we were in Christ. And it's not just like to make us feel better. I mean, He is our comforter, but also He equips us for the works of righteousness that we were prepared for even when we were saved. We are given the Holy Spirit for those things. So may we... May we learn to rely upon the power of God in us, acknowledging our own insufficiency and trusting in Him. And so when we pray, if we want to go deeper and we want to cover all kinds of prayer, we can let the Lord's Prayer be our guide. And the way I do this, I want to just give you a quick example, is really by saying the phrase from the Lord's Prayer, pausing, and then sort of praying extemporaneously on that idea, that topic, okay? So it would go something like this. If I, if I wanted to pray using the model prayer as the sort of framework, I may would pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I would stop, and think about worship, and then, Almighty God, you are good, sovereign, gracious over all things, and I worship you for who you are. Then I pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I surrender to you knowing that you know best in all things. Help me to daily crucify my flesh and instead pursue what honors you because I know that you created me to glorify you 
And I want your will more than anything else. And we pray, give us this day our daily bread. God, help me to trust in your provision. Please help me with this or that. Help so-and-so with, with this or that. God, thank you that you are good. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your provision. Please help me with the things that I need. Then we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive, have forgiven our debtors. So God, please forgive me for fill in the blank. Help me to become a more gracious person, to show the grace that you offer so freely to those I interact with, to, to be a person defined by grace. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray, empower me, God, with your spirit that I might live and work for your glory. Help me to reject sin. Make me more like Jesus for your own glory. See, and that covers a multitude of approaches to prayer. Jesus gave us a really good model, and we can use that to help frame our prayers. As we learn to cultivate a regular and intentional prayer life, it can be difficult, but learning how to pray comprehensively can be a helpful start. And the good news is that even when we don't know how to pray, if we would just approach God with humility and we would acknowledge our own weakness, God honors our prayers, and that's our posture. In fact, Romans 8, 26-27 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How encouraging is that? That we don't know what to pray, but the Spirit prays for us. How, how encouraging is it to know that not only do we have access to the God of the universe through prayer, but He Himself, in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us. After all, He made us. He knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. And He mainly just wants for us to pursue Him. See, we were created for an intimate relationship with God. Prayer is one of the ways that we can best then imitate the things were the way things were in the garden before the fall. Adam and Eve walked with God, or God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They knew Him. They talked to Him. And we can still do that even though there's sin in the world. It's also one of the best ways that we can get sort of a foretaste of the way things will be when God makes all things new. And so, as we learn to pursue God in prayer, may we become a people who pursue God more and more with our whole hearts as we offer ourselves before Him in prayer. And may we then find the joy and the contentment that He offers us when we learn to know Him better through these disciplines of grace. Will you pray with me? God, we thank You once again that You have given us this gift of prayer. God, that You created us for intimate fellowship with You. God, and that we can indeed know You, for You have made Yourself knowable. God, that should humble us. God, that You have made Yourself knowable. You have condescended to us. God, You are so far above us. Lord, You are in the heaven and You do whatever You please. And yet, God, You have made a way for us to know You. And You've done that through Your Son. God, will we not take that privilege for granted? God, will we become a people who want to pursue You regularly and intentionally? God, will we learn to trust in Your provision and Your grace? And God, would you use those attributes as we grow in the pursuit of you and the fruit of your spirit. God, would you produce those things in our life. Thank you for loving us. 
God, thank you for giving us access to your throne because of the shed blood of Jesus in our place. It's in his name we pray.